Well, Talking Church, I am excited. We have a very special episode today. And normally I know we have pastors or church leaders or people from here in the United States, but it's special today because I'm joined by Yoav. And Yoav is an Israeli Jewish man who's a tour guide. He's a historian. He's a uh, expert in Bible history. I've been on a tour with him and I'm excited for you all to meet him. So Yoav, thank you for being here. Thank you. And obviously the circumstances are a bit strange at the moment. Normally, if I was seeing you, I would like to be on the other side of the world in the ocean, but you're here in the United States and you're sharing some of what's happening and what's been going on. You were in Israel, you have family that's there, you live there, Yes. but you're on a trip right now to the United States. So I wanna welcome you to the podcast. Thank and you. I'm sure all those listening are interested to hear about this. But first and foremost, you are a human being and you've gone through a lot. And so on behalf of all those listening, just want to um, express our, our prayers that we've sent your way and all those who are supporting you and the family and friends that are there. And uh, whenever there's violence and war of this kind, we're, we're standing for peace. And so uh, just know that there have been prayers from your Christian brothers and sisters in the United States that have been uh, sending your way. Thank you so much. Thank when, you for inviting me. Yeah, absolutely. When can you give us an update? Maybe current situation. Your family is is still there. You're yes. here just on a short trip. So basically, I, um, as you said, I uh, I'm a tour guide in Israel, and I'm I was supposed to be actually right now in Israel with few churches, uh, getting off and on the bus in uh, some really exciting places, learning the context of the Bible. Right. Uh, unfortunately, a month ago, exactly um, at, at uh, Saturday morning on October 7th, Israel experienced a brutal attack from Gaza by terrorists invading into Israel, killing over uh, 1,400 Israelis in a very brutal way and shooting rockets into Israel. This is something people don't remember sometimes. There's almost 10,000 rockets that have been shot in one month into Israel. Wow. Uh, me and my family live uh, in the outskirts of Jerusalem. I have two kids, a five-year-old daughter and an eight-year-old son. And um, right when it started, a couple of hours later, there were uh, rockets coming towards us. Uh, we had to run to the safe room. This is the way we protect ourselves. This is why many Israelis are not getting get, getting hurt because there's... Um, a law in Israel that in new houses you have to build safe rooms. We don't have one, so we ran to the neighbors. So all the new homes have to have the safe room, but yeah. some of the older houses yeah. don't have it yet. We don't have one, unfortunately. So while I'm here, every night is kind of like I pray and and always wait for the morning to hear that it's fine, that they didn't have to run while they were sleeping. That's challenging. That's not enough time for them. Um, so we, we basically, you know, my thing was, was okay, protect the kids first. And um, we took them to my in-laws. It's They were kind of like out of the range. And um, I've been experiencing hard time because I used to help in everything I could. I was released from the army. And um, and I was trying to get in, but they said, okay, we don't need you because you're not part of any unit or anything. Although a few days ago, I got a call from the army. Uh, this is I, the IDF? Or? The IDF, the Israeli Defense Forces, to guard my community. Our community mm. basically is very interesting. We live right on the way to Jerusalem, between Jerusalem and Tel Aviv, on, on the highway. We have, uh, on one side, we have an Arab-Israeli village, very big one, actually three of them. Very good neighbors, very good friends over there. And on the other side, we have what used to be Jordan, today being called the West Bank or something like that. You can, however people defined it. And over there we have a lot of suspect for enemies that will maybe try to attack. So there's a lot of um, guarding in the community. So what happened a month ago will not happen in our community. Um, so, yeah, it's frightening. My daughter goes to daycare and we had to move everything um, from her regular daycare to a bomb shelter. Mm -hmm. And actually all the kids in the community has to share the time in the bomb shelter, so it's not regular time. That's one of the harder things that Israelis with little kids experiencing. School for my son only run for his grade only twice a week because they're not enough bomb shelters. Because they're doing school in the bomb shelters, or in his, you need to be in a in a short distance to oh, run okay. into the bomb shelter. Right, right. Thank God in Israel, I grew up by the way in a situation that was different. I was um, 
I grew up by the border with Lebanon mm. in the end of the 80s. And I remember when we had rounds of violence with Hezbollah that was shooting rockets to us. We didn't have the alert system we have now. So we slept as kids in the bomb shelter for two and a half weeks. Wow. Just stay in the bomb shelter because you don't know when it's coming. Today, thank God, we have a very, very advanced system. And this is something that is helping us a lot. I would say that in the world media, it's hurting us because, you know, it's very hard to say it, but people look at death as proportion and stuff like that. And it's very, very bad that um, we manage to protect our people. And this is why we, we, you know, it's kind of like a lot of people judge Israel for attacking back. And unfortunately, um, people sometimes not involved getting hurt. Um, we fight a terror organization that is hurting. It's very clear, and I know there's a lot of debates about it, but mm-hmm. it's very clear to people that study the facts well that this terror organization is hurting the Palestinians themselves. Mm-hmm. I have Palestinian friends, some of them Christians. They're fearful, fearful of Hamas taking over. And um, and I, we have neighbors we, you know, we do our groceries, every, everything we need to, in, in the neighbor village, Arabs, they might, def, you know, the Israeli Arabs, there's 21% of Israelis are Arabs, Muslims. Actually, the community next to us got hurt by a missile. And one Arab uh, Muslim guy, again, they might define, define themselves as Palestinians as well, got killed 19 years old from a rocket that was sent by Hamas. And they don't want Hamas. Uh, you know, and we we get along. Um, just before coming here, I get a, you know, go to my barber and, you know, an Arab guy putting a knife over here, and I'm okay with it, because that's that's the way we live. But with Hamas not recognizing our existence, where we are, basically wants to kill us, and that's impossible. And that's the conflict right now, and mm-hmm. it's a war. So it's very serious. Yeah, it's. It's clear, you know, and, and for somebody who I've I've lived in the Middle East and in Lebanon and um, just got back from Jordan and have spent time in Israel. And so I've been in that part of the world and experienced much of the tension. How much of the tension do you see? You know, you, you talk about your um, your Arab friends and I do want to get in for those listening. We're going to talk about some of the significance of the region and the Holy Land and everything. And so this isn't a just talking about the current situation, but it's so fresh and relevant. We can't just ignore it. Yes. When it comes to the religious conflict versus the the area, because you talk about there's, there's Arab Muslims that are your neighbors, that are your friends, that are your barber. Mm-hmm. But then there's also um, Arab Muslims who are Palestinians who live in Gaza, right? Mm-hmm. How has how, how do you see people talking about them differently? Do you feel that there is a in some ways, and, and again, we see what's in the Western media, and so hearing it from you, obviously, you're one perspective, but one f- from an Israeli. It seems that there's almost a disdain for like, well, yes, w- there are some Arabs who are good, but like s- some people you see that are Israeli that are ah, oh, the the Palestinians in Gaza, the Palestinians in West Bank, we look down upon them. Do you see that to be true? You see that because a lot of people, you know, that are not trying to look from above. They look at, you know, at, at the reality from their heart and they, they're under attack. Mm-hmm. They're literally under attack of, you know, rockets are being shot from Gaza to Israel from 2001. Even before that, there were some Jewish communities in, in the Gaza Strip. Mm-hmm. Israel evacuated all the Jewish communities in 2005 and they kept on shooting. And instead of developing Gaza, they develop rockets. Who is they? The Hamas. And um, unfortunately, if you're not looking at it from above and say, okay, not everyone, although a lot of them actually got educated with poison. Mm. I can tell you that an hour ago, I saw the prime minister of Israel announcing that Israel is promising the Gaza people much better future, peaceful and better the moment Hamas will not be there and really hope they will not vote for Hamas again and bring Hamas to the... They can develop things better, not on our life, not on top of our dead bodies, and not on top of our, um, um, you know, babies and kids. And yes, you definitely see, because there's a conflict and there's violence that is happening, unfortunately, for decades. I can keep talking on and on. I don't think it's where we want to go yeah, there. Yeah. How the history of the conflict and everything, how I think 
uh, you know, we, we, obviously I'm biased, but, but there's a, facts. But again, when you, you, you said what you said, you have people that, what do you want? They talk from their guts. If they're, you don't know if their mother, daughter, husband, whatever, uh, was killed in a suicide attack or something. So basically the solution is peace. But unfortunately, there's a lot of people. I, I can tell you one thing from my perspective, and not only my family, but all of the people surrounding me, we were educated for peace. We, I, you don't hear in my, in, in, around me, people saying we need to de- uh, destroy everyone. Yes, mm-hmm. we need to destroy Hamas. We need to destroy the threat. But you, you, you hear the understanding. You don't hear people like uh, saying we need to kill them all and... and because people understand that these are human beings and not all of them. And that's something that we grew up. We grew up for peace. We never want to take anyone else's life. That's something that I can tell you. I was, I've been to the Israeli Defense Force. Our goal was always to catch the ones who wants to attack us and not touch the ones that um, that's, that's around. For example, I can give you a short, quick example. We, there was a girl in, back in the beginning of the 2000s. We... We, we got information. There's a bomb under a bed, like in a vest. She's tending to go into Israel and push the button, explode it, and kill maybe my family. So we go into the house, arrest her, and the mother, knowing, not knowing what was the girl doing, she running after us with big rocks, throwing at us. Now, we, you know, you can, you have a gun, you have a lot of things, you can do a lot of things. And what, we basically did was um, because we understood her, we understood that we just took a daughter. She was not a threat, although she could kill us with the stones. We just left her. So this is something we are educated for, and and I hope um, the situation will get better. Yeah, it's it's something that when you empathize on on all sides, you know, because you think about some of the people who are in Gaza right there. They don't know, like you said, the way they've been educated, they've been raised. All they know is that there are bombs going off and there are people dying. And so maybe to them they would say, you know, Israel's the enemy, right? And and trained up that way and believing that way. And of course, here in the West, I think it's easy for us to to make opinions. And mm-hmm. I mean, you see right now in the West, I would say the initial support while I was I was over in that region, seeing the initial support in the West was very pro-Israel. And now it seems like it's shifting a little bit. Um, some of the protests that are happening just recently um, in Washington, D.C., you know, giant protests for the Palestinian people. Um, you know, again, this is this podcast is is meant to be for church leaders and Christian leaders. But I think there's there's a reality to understanding that there are human beings involved in this all around, but there are real conflicts and real history that I think in the United States we're often we're often oblivious to. I mean, our country was founded in 1776, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, we have neighbors to our north and south who, in general, we get along pretty well. Many people who listen go on vacation in Mexico and they go vacation in Canada. And so having neighbors who maybe don't agree with our country's existence or agree with, you know, you talk about the the... Uh, racism or the um, anti-Semitism or all of those different things, I think for a lot of us, it's just so foreign to us. And so for us, it's very much like, we'll figure it out, right? <laughs> just solve the problem. Yeah. I, I meet here a lot of Jews in America that it's not foreign for them. And they really feel it's, they feel the truth that there is a strong attack towards Judaism. And if we talk here in your podcast, in a biblical podcast, if you want, and uh, people there's a lot of uh, misinformation here in the West that is leading to people that shout things against my family without even understanding what they're shouting. Because if there will be only Palestine with Arabs between the Jordan River, and right. you know where the Jordan River is, yeah, yeah, yeah. and when the Mediterranean, Mediterranean, it means that I'm not there. Yeah, you're the chant from the river to the sea yeah, that they're saying, so, the translation so of... I would say there yeah. is no me. Yeah. And uh, that's very problematic. Um, I think there is... People don't go study history and facts. I would say one thing very important. You said you get along but, but with your neighbors, but don't forget the history of, of America. You did have attacks yeah. towards America, and everyone understood that Al-Qaeda has to be destroyed, and you went on a war against Al-Qaeda, and you pretty much didn't destroy it because ideologically, you, it's hard to destroy ideology. Right. But you, what we hope that will happen in Gaza, that we will destroy the leadership, take the ability of them to hurt us, 
And from that moment, ideology, other ideology will take over and people there will, will be able to lead themselves with better, strong leaders that will take care of them instead of take care of our life, mm-hmm. which means kill us. Um, I can tell you this, it's amazing to see that everything they complain, they run out of um, electricity and water, although you can see they still have it. Um, but there's one thing they don't run, of, run out of, missiles. They keep on shooting every day. That's impressive. Missiles... Right now, is it is it pretty consistent where they're getting alarms and, and sirens that are going off in, in Israel? Or? Almost every day there are sirens uh, in certain parts of the country, especially around Gaza area. There's some from Lebanon. Uh, but um, the Israeli IDF has a very strong goal, trying to tell the Gazans, non-involved people, mm-hmm. whoever see himself a citizen, um, to move down to the south and eventually to get the leadership uh, of Hamas to take them out, kill them, arrest them, uh, and basically not have a threat from Gaza into Israel so the people of Gaza can live their life next to Israel peacefully. And How often of the missiles that are launched, we see this the Iron Dome, right, mm-hmm. this defense system. How often is... Are, are the missiles landing in, in Israel? That's a very good question because Iron Dome is a very, very sophisticated system. It usually knows if the rocket is going to hit a populated area or not and destroy the ones that are going to hit. But it's not so the it, one... So it's actually detecting where a rocket's going. So it's the, not just shooting rockets down. It's it's making a calculation to say yes. this is the most risky or that one's going in the middle of nowhere. Yes. Wow. No more than that, it's also giving the alert, the siren... In the place, you know, we can have neighbor communities having a siren and we won't have it because the calculation is that it's going to get to them. They have to run. There's two protections over here, running to the safe room and the Iron Dome. Iron Dome is not 100%. So there's a lot of direct hits in Tel Aviv and obviously around Gaza, all these communities that were evacuated. Actually, a lot of the buildings there are destroyed by rockets because when there is a massive attack, the Iron Dome has a hard time to deal with it. I think that people talk about it and they're also amazed by the technology, but we have to mention, I think, every time that we need to ask the the, the weird question, why do we have to deal with it? Right. Why do we have to have rockets flying into us? And I think the demand, and you hear the Israelis now, are so united one, uh, around one thing. It will not happen again. Mm. And, you know, the Israelis are afraid or the leadership is afraid that the world will put some sanctions and stop Israel because of political pressure. The Israeli people will not let it happen. If needed, there will be, I don't know if it's a, we can talk about an uprising or something, but the Israeli army, which is the, peop- the people, you know, that's right. all of us. Because everyone's required to do yes. two years? or Yes, everyone knows someone in the army right yeah. now. Uh, not three years, three years, boys, but then you have reserve until the age of 40. Mm. I'm 41, so I'm not in the reserve, but uh, but I have friends and family there and fighting right now. Mm-hmm. Well, I want to get into some of the biblical side of things because yes, that's please. an area that you're an expert at. And again, enjoyed my time in Israel with you. And you've led wow. many teams from River Valley and others from around uh, the country that you do groups with and teach them about history. And you know, when you look at the history of, of the Middle East and of Israel, a lot of times you see people start at the Ottoman Empire. Right? Mm-hmm. And they start at the Ottomans, and then they, they move on, and they talk about the Palestinian conflict and everything. And I'm sure people have watched YouTube videos about this over the last month, learning maybe more about this. But what I'd love to do, and for those who are listening today, go kind of all the way back to as early as we can, as we look at in the early parts of the Bible, and as we move forward, the significance of the land, the significance of some of those sites and places. And of course, Maybe those who are listening will want to go and they'll want to have you explain that to them when this war calms down and where people can start to travel back again. I know you're heading back soon and our prayers are with you, but maybe take us back to the starting point or wherever you maybe would, almost as if we're we're on a tour with you today. So I think we should all start with with Abraham, Mm -hmm. you know, and the promise, uh, God, Abraham, Genesis 13, Abraham is getting the promise from God northwards, eastwards, you know, I can see myself standing on a hill in Israel look, looking all directions. That's for you, Abe. Uh, take it. And, um, and basically from there, that's, that's the beginning of the, the relationship with, uh, with uh, the Jews and, and later on it getting all the way to the New Testament and Jesus 
being in this promised land. Actually, you know, you have the promise to Abraham and you have Jesus incarnating in this land. It's always the question why, and we can talk about it later, maybe some ideas for that. But, um, but definitely it's the most recorded land in the history. Mm-hmm. Even way before the Ottoman time, if it's uh, pilgrims, Christian pilgrims, the Jewish Bible uh, before. Uh, so this is a significant piece of land. You know, when you walk around there, it's always exciting. My mom used to be a Bible teacher. And um, we studied the Bible as Jews in Israel. We studied it as a part of our heritage. You know, it's kind of like our family story. Right. And that's really exciting. And you, from your childhood, you walk around the land and you see sites and you've been with me to uh you know to get to tell dan and we saw a gate from the time of abraham Mm -hmm. in in the land in the place called dan uh so that's i saw the outside of it because it was under construction but yeah yeah (laughs) so i'll have to go back (laughs) well as we say next year in jerusalem and next year is very very soon so Yeah. yeah um yes definitely so we have and and the most exciting things i think are to find Hebrew in scrolls, the Dead Sea Scrolls, biblical text um, that is dated to more than 2,000 years. And these are very exciting things. Being there, I think, and maybe talking about the experience, and you probably felt it, you really see the Bible 3D. You really mm-hmm. feel, you really, um, you really experience it. And yeah, so basically we can run over some sites and, and, and share what can you see and what can you experience if beginning with Abraham and and then, you know, the Israelites going to Egypt and you can talk about the experience of um, of the desert. We have in the south, we have the Negev Desert, which is very unique. Um, we ha- I don't think together we went there, but we were very close to the border of the desert at yeah. the Ila Valley. Mm-hmm. Um, coming back from the desert with Joshua coming in from Jordan, crossing the Jordan River to Jericho. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jericho is a visited site under the Palestinian Authority, by the way. And in regular days, tourists go there, safe, fine, uh, right by the Dead Sea. So basically, um, you know, you have the beginning there and then the, the, Israel, the Israeli or the Israelite tribes splitting the land and the judges, stories of the judges later on the United Kingdom of David, maybe a little bit before that Saul. So you can really see, we've been together to the Ila Valley where mm-hmm. David killed Goliath and it's really, really cool to see the context of the geography. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You read it in the Bible, you have no idea when you read here in Minnesota, you know, about the hill of Azekah, of Sukkot and all of that, you can really point it out. We have evident over there in the valley itself and the brook and the round stones that you're familiar with. Mm-hmm. So this is these are this these are all there. When I remember when we were there, and maybe you can explain better the significance of where that battle happened, right? To mm-hmm. where it almost was a choke point for the armies at the time that whoever won that battle would essentially have a free pass all the way through the rest of the kingdom. I don't know, maybe you can explain it better True. than that. A lot of the things that happening in the Bible and generally in history even this conflict right now, it's connected to roads and free path or who controlled the world, basically. Because when you control the road, you control the world. Why? Because you you can tell this army, you can go or this, or this you know, products, you can move here or not. And um, there's a road that goes up to the hill country and goes up to the north, uh, that the Valley of Elah and generally, the uh, the meeting point between the Philistines that are coming from the coastal plain, right around Gaza area, and, and the Jews or the Israelites coming from the hills of Bethlehem, Hebron, Jerusalem, that's the meeting point, and it was few things happened there. If we take the stories of Samson and Delilah, it's not always the meeting point. This area is the meeting point, and it was very crucial to control it, because then you could control the uh, the highway coming from from Egypt to the north and opposite but also control some um, roads climbing up on the hill country. It's very important, basically, visiting Israel, I think, when you understand the geography, you understand the words of the Bible better. I mean, that's one thing to understand. Yeah. Uh, so definitely, yes. So the road system, and it's hey, not the only battle. 
Yeah, you said that when you control the roads, you control the world, right? Mm-hmm. And I mean, you think about the Romans at the time and mm-hmm. that that occupation, you know, of the land of the Romans that they ruled over that at the time. The, the other thing that's so unique is all the inscriptions that you find and the, the inscriptions that actually continue throughout history to affirm what we read over and over again. Maybe if there's things that come to mind, you know, there's many different towns that are still being uncovered, but things that come to mind, the things that you saw or that you've seen that actually give credibility to the words of the Bible and through the inscriptions, through the archaeology that are found, it's actually adding to the case versus taking away from it. Definitely, definitely. I uh, This is out of the Bible, but parallel to the Bible story, the story of Masada. Masada is uh, to, you know, the first century story of uh, the Jewish rebels running from Jerusalem at the year 70, actually um, staying there for about three years until the Roman army is coming there and basically put them under siege. And according to Josephus Flavius' recordings, um, they eventually killed themselves by by each one of the families. There are 900 people. And then they have a lot at the end, the last 10 people. And they, the one that will win is going to kill each other and fall on his sword. And when you go there, what they found actually a few things that are really cool. One of them are the pot charts with name that they think this is the last lot. On one of them, my name, you know, 2,000 years ago, same way of writing, same Hebrew, same Hebrew letters, Yoav, which by the way in English is Joab, um, mm. J-O-A-B, and um, and which by the way my name has a important meaning. You know, it's it's Yo stands for Jehovah, and Av stands for Abba, and that's God is my father. Yeah. And uh, not far away from there, where they found these pochards, they found a synagogue, and in the synagogue they found a room, and in the room they found scrolls from two thousand years ago, time that is parallel to Jesus almost, with with uh, Old Testament scriptures on scrolls. For example, Ezekiel 37, the dry bones is there. So it's very exciting. And not far away from there, you have the community of Qumran with the uh, Dead Sea Scrolls that were found in the mm-hmm. caves there. All the Almost the entire Old Testament was found and especially um, Isaiah is there. The For those who maybe don't know the story of, of the Dead Sea Scrolls being found, maybe they've heard about it or they've seen it travel different museums, mm-hmm. but maybe re- recount the story of how these scrolls were found. Let, let's take a step back. Um, when we have the writing, you know, writing starts around the, t- the time of David, um, around 3,000 years ago, a little bit earlier. And um, a thousand years later, there's a lot of writings. We know it from the Romans and everything. A lot of the writings is happening with ink on scrolls, mostly parchment or papyrus, and most of it is not survived from 2,000 years ago. Why? Because it's disintegrates. Most of the areas are humid and rainy, and this brings bacteria, they eat it, and it's no longer existing, or fire. In the, the area of the Dead Sea, it's kind of like a very arid area that biological material can survive for longer, and there are about 11 caves that were found at the end of the 40s by a Bedouin actually starting finding it. And later on, some under Jordanian control, there's a French delegation that ex- excavate there. And they find in caves around the community of what we think used to be the place or the Essenes used to be a Jewish sect, a Jewish group. They find almost 1,000 um, uh, pieces from 1,000 scriptures. Uh, oh, sorry, um, um, Scrolls. They're divided to three groups. Some of them commentaries of the Bible. Some of them, some of them are basically sectorial texts about the, the sect itself, the group. And we know that they used to be very ascetic. They're very strict with their uh, Jewish life. Um, and the third group, which is the most interesting one, is our biblical books. They're missing only Esther, the scroll of Esther. We don't know if they didn't have it or, or we haven't found it. And it's written mostly in Hebrew, a little bit in Greek and Aramaic, mostly in Hebrew. And the, the, the writing and all of these scrolls are dated to the 3rd century BC, all the way to the 1st century AD, when this community was destroyed. So um, that's very exciting. You know, the same words of the Bible that we read today are there. And it's parallel to the time of the 1st century. This community was keeping them, which is the time of John, time of Jesus, time of 
the New Testament story, which is very exciting. So when you think about Jesus reading a scroll in a synagogue, he would use the same kind of scrolls that we find there. Not exactly the same ones, but same thing. You know, when he opens the scroll in Nazareth and reads um, from Isaiah or whatever. Yeah, and that in that region there, and you have, you know, Masada and that, and um, and Getty's not far from there, right? Too. Very, just in the middle. Yeah, right there. And I will say to those, if you've not been to Israel before, if you have the chance to take a cable car up to Masada or hike, I highly recommend you take the cable car. Definitely. We, we hiked it and we, we looked at it and we thought, oh, this is nothing. It's, it's going to be easy. And by yeah. the end of it, we got up. We weren't even listening to anything you were saying because we were so exactly. exhausted. So exactly. take there, the cable car. There's <laughs> such a great hiking in Israel, especially in the desert. Mm-hmm. Masada, you have a cable car. Why too? Yeah, why do? I, I really stand for hiking in Israel. It's really good. Um, don't forget that the ancients used to walk. Jesus speaks about it. The Deuteronomy 6 talks about it. You should teach words of God while you're walking in the mm. roads. So walking in Israel is something that we do, hiking. Um, it's really cool. There's a trail that actually connects Nazareth to Capernaum in the north. Mm. Uh, walking with Jesus from yeah. Nazareth to Capernaum. That's very exciting. Uh, you can do that. They did it in a day, a long day. You can do it in three days. <laughs> mm. There's some places you can spend overnight either camping on guest houses. One of the other significant things you see is some of the characters of the Bible and Pontius Pilate is Mm -hmm. one that they have scrolls of or um, engravings of that the significance. Maybe talk about some of the other places. I I believe that was in Caesarea. True. In Caesarea, they... So Caesarea is a city on the coastline of Israel built by King Herod. This is Herod the Great mentioned with the time of the birth of Jesus. And... uh, and this is a massive city built to the top of the notch to the Romans' architecture and, and technology with um, stadiums and hippodrome and theater and, and a beautiful palace that Herod built to himself later will be used by the governors of Judea, one of them Pontius Pilate. And uh, he built a structure, probably a temple dedicated to Tiberius, the emperor, which is very rare. You don't find anywhere else in the Roman world a governor um, building, dedicating a temple to a living Caesar because mm. he was controlling the time of Tiberius. It tells us a lot about what we know from Pontius Pilate from other sources than the Bible. A little bit of too much thinking about himself, very, you know, he was abusing the people. He actually never finished his term. He was sent back to Rome. And, and over there, he, they found the dedication inscription in a secondary use, which means the temple did not survive, we don't know why. The inscription at the entrance to the temple that Pontius Pilate built was taken to a recon... Um, they actually redone the floor of the theater. It's flat inscription, good for pavement. They took it. That's called secondary use. And later on in the archaeological excavations, they found it. And uh, it's presented actually in the Israel Museum, but there's replicas over there. Pontius Pilate actually, they found also... Um, a ring used by him in another palace that Herod built south of Jerusalem called Herodium. I don't think you've been there, mm. and you must go. Okay. During COVID, they rec- reconstructed some of the stuff over there. Mm. First of all, it's beautiful. It's um, kind of an um, adventure going there, but it's very unique. It's a little mountain that Herod built to, to bury himself <laughs> for his tomb. Uh, I'm impressed by your memory because you do all these different tours, but you, you know, I mean, this was, this was se- almost seven years ago, or seven years ago, actually, probably right around now, and you're remembering exactly where we did go and didn't yes. go. So I'm just impressed by your memory. Yeah. Um, what are other things when you when you look at? I mean, you, there's a lot of places. You obviously you've grown up there. You live there. You're you're an Israeli man, but you also love talking about the land and the significance of it. Maybe other things that have jumped out to you and you don't need to give them all away because obviously you have to save some for those who, when they go visit you, but what are some things that maybe make made you understand reading scripture differently, reading the Bible? And again, I know there's um, versus Jewish, versus Christian, there's differences, of course, but there's still the significance on the land and what's happening. What are maybe things that were aha moments or that you love to share 
even with your Christian friends of, hey, this is something that that is a great aha moment that you reveal, whether it be in Jerusalem or in Bethlehem or in Nazareth. Again, I'm not, I won't put parameters on it. I think that the theme that I'm trying to put to my tours is context. Because you can learn and study about the Bible back at home. You have great pastors, great teachers. But taking the words of the Bible and coming into the world of the Bible where, um, where things have happened, it creates more context, deeper understanding. So, yes, it creates aha moments. It's very exciting when you really see the, the, the words coming back to life. If it's, for example, in the southern steps coming into the Temple Mount. And you sit there and you read about um, Acts chapter 2. And you really realize that it might have happened there in the stairs where you're sitting because right. the all comes together and we read it together and I can show them where was David buried that, that Peter is talking about it and literally pointing at his tomb. And, mm -hmm. may, and we know from Josephus they knew where David was buried 2,000 years ago. We don't know today. Um, and uh, that's a very exciting moment, I think, because... It's a strategical place. It's the entrance to the Temple Mount. Jesus was there. Acts chapter 2 is happening there. These are all important stories that people carry in their heart. Mm -hmm. And now you can really understand the significance, why it's happening there. Why do you need so many languages? Because we have visitors from all around the world coming to the Temple Mount. And um, so everything comes into a context. And aside of the fact you know the Bible is true, over there you see the Bible is true. Mm, yeah. And I think it's cool. Yeah. Um, what, I was reading a commentary the other day. How many people were expected to be in Jerusalem at the time of that Passover when Jesus' crucifixion? I mean, it, it, multiple millions? That, that's a good question because I mean, definitely we have Old Testament talking about uh, when we read it about millions, but that's, that's first temple. Solomonic Temple, but um, today we know that at once when the Muslims, and we talked about it earlier, and the yeah. Muslims using the, temp the same Temple Mount platform, they can fit their, in, the, in their holidays uh, close to 300,000 people mm. standing. Mm. Jerusalem of Jesus' time, of the first century, was the biggest in its history before modern days, inside walls. The walls are not the same walls. They got mm -hmm. destroyed. But, but still, a lot of the people would park outside. This is, by the way, why we have Garden of Gethsemane story outside of the walls because mm -hmm. people would park outside during the pilgrimage time. Park so, with their tents and things yeah, like that. Camping, yeah, camping. Not literally. their cars. <laughs> uh, they used to walk, as we said. Um, uh, so definitely, I think, hundreds of thousands all the way to to higher numbers, but definitely hundreds of thousands of people um, hosted by the city people, by, you know, that's how I see it. Numbers are not easy because mm -hmm. even today, um, it's not easy to count people. And there are different kind of uh, drones and stuff, but mm -hmm. yeah, it's hard. There's, I've heard, you know, scholars talking about how many people lived in Jerusalem. So the, you have numbers between 50,000 to 1 million. Right. <laughs> somewhere in the middle coast. yeah yeah a lot there. of people yeah yeah um you mentioned jerusalem modern day jerusalem i mean even f for the last 1400 years has been under mm -hmm. lots of controversy and there's three of the world's largest religions that kind of claim it as their home obviously you live just outside of jerusalem there's much peace, of course, in that, but there's also much tension You're right. in that. You have the, the Temple Mount of the historic temple that, the, of course, the, the temple and the Holy of Holies has is, is been destroyed, but you still have the, the mount there that now is the Dome of the Rock, and then near there is Al-Aqsa Mosque, which um, Muslims believe is where Muhammad had his night journey and went and visited and then ascended from there. Talk about the maybe the tension and the significance of you as a Jewish man, but also seeing you have Christian neighbors and Muslim neighbors that are all sort of grabbing onto this place. And you mentioned why Jesus came there. 
the significance of Jerusalem for the world, obviously it's it's being talked about now because of the war that's happening, but throughout the theme of history, whether you're a Christian, a Jew, a Muslim or not, Jerusalem has a pull that just keeps the world listening. True. Um, as I said, most docu documented. It's not just listening, but sharing as well. Yeah. And um, the the time under Israeli control over there, by the way, is one of the most um, status the status quo. You know, the uh, who rules where is very strong. Basically, it's always bring tension, and um, but but people has to get along. You know, I have people that I work that are Arabs. Christians, Arab Muslims, we work together. We we share everything together, and we basically uh, have some some business together. You know, and so it's people get along, and that's very interesting uh, reality. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it's it's always sharing tension, uh, bringing tension when people are spreading lies. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, are there during the holy days, Jewish holy days? Muslim holy days, you mentioned the 300,000 people that go on Muslim mm -hmm. holy days. What is the experience of Jerusalem like? Do is it do Jewish people say I'm getting out of here during the Muslim holy days? Is it vice versa? Or Again, I know these aren't necessarily biblical questions, but maybe just for those who are curious who have not been there, but they there's there's still a lot that's happening. True. And and it brings tension because of radicals that are sharing different things. Uh, Jews wants to go up, and they they're not allowed to go up. Sometimes, Jews are not allowed to pray over there in Temple Mount, in the holiest place for the Jews. So lately, there was some tension around it. But there's Israeli police that actually control there, and keep the law and the status quo. Mm -hmm. So the the closest place, the the Western Wall, mm -hmm. that would be the closest that Jewish people are allowed to get to to pray to pray to mm -hmm. the temple. But they're allowed to visit, not during Shabbat, not during Saturday, not during Fridays. But they're not allowed to pray. So if the police, the Israeli police, catch them praying, they will be taken off the mountain and mm. be arrested sometimes. Mm. You mentioned Shabbat. You know, we Christians have a lot of conflicting beliefs about the Sabbath and the significance of it today versus, oh. obviously, it's one of the Ten Commandments that, that's given to Moses. And you have, of course, it's a Ten Commandment. Why would you not participate in this? Jesus, of course, being a Jew, participated in this. One of the questions that I had is in the midst of what's going on right now in Israel, what does Shabbat look like right now? In mm. in You have sirens. And again, maybe this is a, a selfish question, but I was just curious thinking about, uh, I, I experienced it when I was over there under normal conditions. The elevators, actually, the doors open so you don't have to push buttons in the elevator. So there's those who take it very seriously. Yes. But what about if there's a siren going off? Is that, can you open the door to a bomb shelter? Is there Are there people struggling so, with that? No. Okay. <laughs> uh, basically, the atrocities that we know from the Gaza area mm -hmm. in Israel happened during Shabbat on the holiday exactly mm -hmm. Yeah. a month ago. And... and um, when there's a siren, you run to the to the shelter. There's obviously people that are more strict Orthodox and less strict Orthodox. But way 2,000 years ago, uh, Judah the Maccabee actually was facing it, uh, whether we allow to uh, to uh, fight on Shabbat or not. Mm. Actually, it's arguments that Jesus is coming into. Uh, what are we allowed to do on Shabbat or not? Mm. One of the things is to to protect life. And it's, it, we call it postponing the Shabbat rules, which means it's go over. So if an Orthodox person needs to drive in terms of security issues, he will drive on Shabbat. Same thing, by the way, with doctors needs to save life. Mm. Uh, if you need to talk on the phone or something, or you need to eat to be alert, or it, so you cook or something like that, you know? Mm. Yeah. So there's, it, you said they almost, people are taking Jesus' words and kind of saying, hey, look at, this guy said maybe we're being too strict on things if we're not protect. I mean, in a normal condition, though, many people would would not do any of those things, right? They, you'd prepare your meal in advance. You'd, Orthodox people will prepare yeah. everything in advance and everything. But in a wartime, yes, there is even a radio channel that is open silently. So uh, Orthodox people can leave it open. And if there's any reports or emergency announcements, mm. the government will go through this channel and you will hear it, mm. okay? Because you're not using your phone, Shabbat. Right, right. 
during this war is very they announce before Shabbat what channels will be silent it's called and again if needed now the siren obviously is going on Shabbat and again the ultra orthodox or the orthodox uh, Jews that keep Shabbat is very strict if they are in the army they will try to do as much as they can the blessings of Shabbat the prayers of Shabbat but they'll drive the tank they'll be fighting mm-hmm. completely it. it was very interesting to see the this is the brutal contradiction between the atrocities that happen on Shabbat and and you see the people that were evacuated or the people who died with their underwears you know with there's still wine on the table from Saturday night uh, you know from Shabbat meal there's yeah. wine and bread in Volhalla you still see that on the tables of these houses that the people have been murdered so it's kind of a very tough picture yeah I would say because it's uh, in brutal intervention into a uh, holy life mm-hmm. absolutely uh, as we come to a close on this conversation mm-hmm. what are maybe some final thoughts that you have of course again many people who are here maybe they're not um, they're not well versed to this idea for you it's very normal obviously your time in the IDF um, the experiences you've shared with us the experiences you're living in right now your family's living in right now the tension but any thoughts that you want to leave with people as maybe it's a reminder maybe an encouragement obviously as once things do open up part of why you came to the United States was to share this message and then to Definitely. share that you're I, I came to to the states because I really know that what I know the best is to speak and talk about Israel mm-hmm. the history and the current yeah I felt like this is the best thing I can do and I meet here many many people Jews Christians privately in houses in churches in synagogues and um, and what I what I know is that our front is also over here you know because we need to finish a job with evil over there and we need the support we need the political world power to not to stop us because it was always there stopping us and we kept on having the rockets we don't want to have these rockets anymore what I want to share is or kind of like more of the wider aspect is go find the truth follow facts don't follow stories that people post check it always you can I'm willing to be a source of information if needed and I always doubt things and I always try to give the most accurate information I can and And I'm willing to give my information over here and uh, again uh, follow the facts and um, always know if you're a person of the Bible that you have roots over there and so um, follow what's going on there and the moment you can buy a ticket and come over there mm-hmm. not for me for yourself mm-hmm. uh, to understand your Bible better and um, And to get to be to be involved in it you know it's I see people coming back on and on mm-hmm. because they really feel home they really feel you know when you have roots somewhere you feel it's your home and that's my encouragement maybe for people yeah it's always good for the business as well but uh, yeah but it's kind of like um, yeah I, I you know what I what I part of my big part of my job is I I always remind myself why do I do what I do because not all tours I do are biblical tours or spiritual tours or religious tours but I like to host people and I mostly like when people really enjoy but but also feel something mm-hmm. and it's it's happening a lot uh, during the visit to Israel and it's a place with significant I think for mm-hmm. everyone around the world mm-hmm. yeah I agree and I experienced it when I was there and again like we said we've had many people from marchers that have experienced that with you and it's it's awesome to what you said stuck out to me it's you don't just hear the Bible you see the Bible right and um, I, I think it's an amazing opportunity and our prayer is that things would calm and that of course evil would would stop and that lives would stop being lost all over we mourn you know Bible says that we you We mourn with those who mourn right and so mm-hmm. we mourn with all the Israeli lives that are lost all the innocent Palestinian lives that are lost and the in the midst of the war we're praying for peace that's what our church has been praying for and of course in the midst of peace praying for justice to happen as well and that we wouldn't get 
we wouldn't get misinformed. Um, again, I know it's it's difficult to to talk about because I have people that I love that are Israeli, that are Palestinian, and I think it's it's difficult at times to to try to articulate. And every time I see a post that I I think seems to articulate it, there's always all sorts of anger and frustration and saying, no, you need to pick a side. And it's, no, we are for innocent people Mm -hmm. and we are not for evil people, you know? And I think that that is whether it is somebody who is watching something on the internet or believing something about, you know, something that they, that was from five years ago. It's like you said, let's be vigilant about that, but that our prayer would be that, peace would come. And I love how you said, you said, we were, we were trained for peace. We were educated for peace. And I hope that more people would be educated for peace, not only over there, but here in this country to say, we want to be educated for peace. Um, and I think as you read, you read scripture, you realize that, um, God is the one who he decides, even those who read the old Testament, right? Well, look at this in Deuteronomy and look at this in this chapter and look at this over here of how this army attacked them. Well, that was God's ordained, ordained, plan. We're not here to take what what we think is God's plan into our exactly. own hands, right? And to say, well, I'm going to, in the name of my own wisdom or in the name of my own opinion, do this. But to say, no, I'm, I'm going to be prayerful, be considerate and say, God, what do you want me to do so that I can respond to your plan accordingly? And so that's, that's my prayer. That's my hope. And I hope that all those who listen today are encouraged, obviously, by the the things that you shared, encouraged by maybe the lessons that they learned, and hopefully that they're excited about, oh, I want to go, I want to experience more if they've never been or maybe they've been before, that they can go and they can experience this place that has so much rich history and teaches us so many amazing lessons about the book that we all hold to be uh, the most holy book. So Follow, yeah. Yeah. Thank you for your time, Yoav. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me here. It's a pleasure and uh, very interesting to see the things from here yeah. as well. Yeah, well, our prayers are with you and your family and for safety for everyone. Thank you, Logan.